The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Our about twice yearly daily life practice retreat, and so the theme that I'd like to talk about tonight is related to daily life practice, and that is um, I'd like to talk about working with thoughts in daily life. You know, in, in our um, meditation practice, we often have a kind of a certain relationship with thinking. We um, usually, I mean, we have the luxury, I'll say we have the luxury in our sitting meditation practice to um, not have to do a lot of thinking in that time. So um, in, that, in that time, we can notice a thought arising and uh, let it go, you know, come back to other experience in the present moment, experience in our body, experience of sound, of the breath, and just keep letting go of the, um, the thoughts as they arise. And we often equate meditation with, the, with this process of letting go of thoughts. And so if we have this um, idea about meditation and mindfulness, that it means that we can't be mindful of thinking or that it means that we're supposed to let go of our thoughts. There's whole chunks of our daily life that become kind of off limits to our practice. And uh, we have to think in daily life. So um, really helpful to begin to explore how we might become aware of thinking. It's actually possible to be mindful while thinking. It's possible to be aware of thinking while it's happening. And this is um, not an exploration we do too much in our sitting practice for many of us. And so it, it, um, it's not something we're familiar with. We're not so familiar with how to be aware of thinking. So the first piece I'll just put out there uh, is that there's a huge difference between being lost in thought and being aware that a thought is happening in the present moment. You know, thoughts of the past are simply thinking arising in the present moment. Thoughts of the future are simply thoughts arising in the present moment. And so all of our thoughts happen now, only we don't usually relate to them as something happening now because we get involved with what we're thinking about. We get involved with the content of our thoughts. So the, um, that's, a, that's a real clue for us, actually, to um, see if we can learn how to be aware of thought and aware of the content of the thought at the same time. You know, that's, that's what we don't practice in our sitting meditation. When we, when we practice in our sitting meditation, it's, if, if we do acknowledge the content of thought, it's something like, well, planning, planning or remembering or judging, and then we try to let it go. And so this practice around, can I be aware of the content of my thoughts and be aware that it's a thought happening in the present moment? This is, this is um, some of our exploration for daily life practice. 
And so recognizing, first of all, this huge difference between being aware that a thought is happening in the present moment and being caught in the content of the thought. The content is typically where we get lost. And so this, uh, this exploration of being aware of both that it's a thought happening and the content at the same time can um, help to keep us present while we are thinking. And so actually thoughts are not the enemy. Thoughts themselves are not the enemy while uh, we're practicing. But the Buddha did in one discourse talk about an exploration in his own practice before he became um, fully awakened where he explored what he called two kinds of thoughts. Thoughts that led to struggle, to distress, to suffering, and thoughts that actually um, had the possibility of leading onward. So he, he described these two thoughts, uh, these two kinds of thoughts. Um, the first kind, uh, thoughts leading to affliction. He, he, he said certain kinds of thoughts he noticed led to affliction. And for himself, he noticed these were thoughts of sense desire, ill will, and cruelty. And, um, and the other, this other kind of thought, he said, that didn't lead to affliction to his self, himself or others or both, were uh, thoughts of renunciation, of non-ill will and non-cruelty, or compassion and kindness. So he kind of began to explore his thoughts from this perspective and looking at when thoughts arose, is this a thought that's leading to affliction? Does it lead to, he didn't use the word uh, suffering here, but he, he, he used the word affliction, which is in the terrain of um, distress, agitation perhaps, um, and also possibly uh, creating harm. So he began to explore, are the thoughts that I'm having, do they head in the direction of affliction for myself or others or both? And if he did see that, then he, um, what he said, the practice he did was to reflect on the drawbacks of those thoughts. Reflecting, he said, when I noticed that these thoughts led to affliction, when these thoughts led to suffering or distress of either myself or others or, fo- or both, that those kinds of thoughts began to subside in him. And so that's one of the first tools that he suggests for us is to reflect on the fact that certain thoughts are just not helpful. So of the thoughts that we think during our day, you know, when we, uh, when we start to become aware of thoughts, when we're lost in thoughts, there's not much we can do about it. But when we start to become aware of thoughts, um, we start to recognize not only this kind of division between thoughts that create distress, affliction, and uh, thoughts that kind of lead more towards um, peace and harmony. We also see there's a lot of thoughts kind of in the middle that I think he might put into the affliction category that basically are just not necessary. They're just basically thoughts that um, are kind of spinning us around in circles or entertaining us or some of those might fall into the category of sense desire. And so there's a lot of thoughts in our day that are not so 
useful. And so looking at this division begins to help us to distinguish some of these, um, not only thoughts that create harm or create uh, a sense of mm, affliction, the word he used, or non-affliction, so that division, but we can also begin to just see that there are some thoughts that just seem to be kind of pointless. And so reflecting on the drawbacks of our thoughts, reflecting on, is this thought useful? Is this thought leading to affliction? This is a, a key that the Buddha suggested for, for us in our lives, to look at our thoughts and to begin to see, um, are they useful or not? Are they, are they helpful or not? Are they leading to affliction or not? Interestingly, when he... Um, on the other side, when he said he noticed these thoughts, thoughts of renunciation, non-ill will, non-cruelty, when he reflected on those thoughts, he said, I see these thoughts are not going to cause harm for anybody. Nobody is going to come to any harm. And in fact, some of these thoughts are actually leading in the direction of awakening. They incline the mind towards liberation. You know, Dharma thoughts, for instance, thinking about the Dharma inclines the mind towards the um, towards practice, towards um, being a kind person, towards non-harming. And so some thoughts, he said, you know, these thoughts are useful for us. He said, the phrase he used was, I could think these thoughts for a day or a night or a day and a night, and no harm would come to anybody from thinking these thoughts. No affliction would come to anybody. And then he said, but if I would like my mind to settle in the stillness of meditation, these thoughts will agitate the mind. And so there's a time even to let go of that kind of thought. And so even with thoughts that are wholesome, the Buddha suggested being cognizant of when they are helpful and when they are actually in the way. When are they, when are they agitating the mind? So one way that I find um, you know, maybe helpful to think about working with thoughts in daily life is to, to look at what the wise speech guidelines are because many of our thoughts are in our daily lives are what we, can, what we could call sub-vocal speech. Um, and actually, I, somebody used this word the other day, so I looked it up on the Internet and... Um, it's a very interesting kind of thought. It's a kind of thought, kind of the kind of thought that we're most familiar with, I think, where we're talking to ourselves in our mind. You know, what am I going to do today? How am I going to do it? Um, the kind of the grosser level of thoughts that we we're all really familiar with. The kind of narration, well, not even the narration, but just the the we we sometimes envision in ourselves talking to friends or you know things like that. So it's a, it's a form of inner speech in a way. And actually these subvocal, they discovered these subvocal kinds of thoughts, certain kinds of thoughts, actually send uh, brain messages to the vocal cords. <laughs> so certain kinds of thoughts actually have that additional component. Um, I, I found that really interesting to think of a certain kind of thought that, that, also triggers a, a little bit of a, 
vibration or something in the vocal cords. So this is the grossest kind of thought that we have, I think, and it's uh, relatively easy to become aware of. There's many layers of thinking that we have, uh, some very subtle layers of thought that are almost um, without words at times. So there's, but this, this grosser level of thought is a lot of the place where we get caught in our daily lives. And so this is the main place I'd like to explore tonight, this working with the, what we'll call the subvocal thoughts. And so since they are almost a kind of speech, you know, we're talking to ourselves and actually our brain is preparing us to speak while we're doing them. So they're kind of a form of speech. We can look at the guidelines on why speech and see... Will that give us some support in exploring our uh, thinking in daily life? And so just as a, as a reminder, the, the Buddha had, um, for why speech, he had the guidelines on the speech should be true. It should, um, so not false, not harsh, not divisive, and not idle. How many of your thoughts are idle? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> and then he also included uh, two other pieces. Um, are these thoughts timely? I mean, are these, 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 I'm sorry, speech. Is this speech timely? Is it a good time to be uh, saying this thing? Is it the context? Is it the situation where this uh, this could be heard. Is it the appropriate time for communicating this? And the other one he suggested is, is it beneficial? And so he actually did not always recommend saying something when it was true. Not harsh, not divisive, and not idle. He asked us to, to explore, is this well, so this is related to, to, to timely in a way. Will this be of benefit to the person? Can, can the person take this in? Will they be able to benefit from it? And so looking at this with respect to our inner speech, when we... Um, we notice thoughts that are in this terrain, it may be helpful to consider those in the afflictive category, you know. And I've found a, a three simple questions we can ask that summarizes all six of those pieces. Is it true? Is the thought true? Is the thought kind? That includes, I think, um, refraining from harsh speech, refraining from divisive speech. And uh, kindness also could include, is it beneficial? Is this thought a beneficial thought? So is it true? Is it kind? And then is it necessary? So that would, that would include, is this thought not idle? And um, is it timely? Is it, a, is it a good time to be thinking about this thing? So I'd like to look at each of these. Is it true? Is it kind? Is it necessary? And explore some um, 
thoughts about working with our thoughts along these lines. So when we can become, the first piece is that we need to become aware of our thoughts, right? We need to become aware that we are thinking. And then we can start to look at the content. And so that's, that is the first piece. Can you be aware? Are you thinking in the moment? And then reflecting on, is this thought true? Many of our thoughts are more about judgments than truth. And yet, we often relate to our thoughts as truth. We believe our thoughts. I certainly had this in spades around a particular kind of thought. Um, I'm a failure. I'm no good. You know, basically self-hatred thoughts. That, you know, something would happen and um, the mind would just judge that I was a failure. And I believed that thought. It seemed to me true. And so this is a, this is a reflection we can add to our um, practice around thoughts. Is this thought actually true or is it a belief? It's actually pretty powerful to acknowledge thoughts as belief rather than as truth. The, um, the simple recognition that what's happening in the moment is a thought and that it is being believed allows the mind, can allow the mind to kind of uh, loosen its grip around the um, around the kind of belief, the full belief in that thought. So you know, a thought like "I'm a failure" arises, or "I can't do this practice," or um, you know, "I'm no good at this," or you know, those kinds of thoughts. Recognizing, okay, there's a thought, and it's being believed. For for me, I mean, this kind of exploration, sometimes people try to convince themselves, well, that thought's not true. You know, it's like, okay, yeah, there's a thought. You're no good. You're a failure. Well, that thought's not true. But what's happening right in that moment is the mind is believing that thought. And so to kind of tell yourself it's not a true thought the the mind becomes at war with itself in a way. The mind can kind of begin to be at war with itself in trying to say, well, here's a thought, and it's not true. Okay, yes, you're no good. It's not true. You know, it's kind of like, but the mind is really going, but really, I believe that. <laughs> so if you can just acknowledge, okay, here's a thought, and it's being believed, That's actually what's going on in the mind in that moment. There's a thought, and it's being believed. The mind can, uh, at least in in my exploration of this, the mind can kind of relax a little bit. It's like, oh, yes, that's what's happening. it's, It's acknowledging the truth. It's acknowledging the truth of the moment, that there is a thought, and it's being believed. And so there's not usually going to be that kind of contentiousness in the mind around it. So there's the thought and it's being believed. And that acknowledgement of belief gives the, 
just a little tiny crack <laughs> around the belief that we recognize this is a belief. And it, it lets just the littlest bit of potentially it's not true enter into the mind. So it, when, it, when thoughts are acknowledged in this way, it's, okay, here's a thought and it's being believed. If you can see it as belief, sometimes we can, we can say that to ourselves, but it, it's like we're not really recognizing it as a belief. But in any case, you know, play with it and see what happens. At times, I've seen this be extremely powerful for people. This just simple recognition, yes, this is happening and it's a belief. It's kind of like, oh, whew. Okay, that's what's happening. Another thing we can explore is kind of relative levels of belief of thoughts. We see sometimes that the same kind of thought appears, like you're a failure, and sometimes it's believed strongly, and other times it's not believed strongly. It's like, wow, there's that thought, and I don't even believe that right now. So just acknowledging um, kind of how much belief is happening can be a very helpful practice. You know, really this kind of, um, we think sometimes, I think that, uh, you know, the thoughts and beliefs are the same thing, but what happens is that a thought comes up in the mind, and then a separate process seems to spin, start to spin, that is the believing process. So a thought appears, and the thought itself is pretty light. When we um, get more familiar with watching thoughts, we, we get closer to the time that we see thoughts more as they come up. And as we start to see them as they're coming up, we begin to recognize that the th- that's, that's when we start to see that the belief can be more and less. You know, that if we... Uh, see the thought after maybe 10 seconds, that believing process has had 10 seconds to kind of cement. And it will, there'll be a kind of a higher level of belief. If we see that thought, you're a failure, just as it's arising, that believing process has had less uh, time to churn. And so there are times when we can actually see the distinction between the thought and the belief in the thought. That's just, just to put that out there, that's, that's um, just expe- ex- exploring your own experience, this um, teaching, I guess, I'll just put it out there as a teaching, that thoughts and belief are separate in the mind. That a thought arising in the mind doesn't necessarily bring the belief with it. So just explore that in your own experience. Then reflecting on the kindness of our thoughts. You know, how many times... I, I, I am... Uh, it's quite humbling at times to see just how harsh and divisive our thoughts can be. Not only towards ourselves, but towards other people. You know, judgments come up. Um, you know, this, this, we can also look at this, the, the, the harshness. When, when something is harsh, it's worth looking at, even if it's true. I mean, you know, even if something is true, if we are speaking it in our mind in a harsh way, we're bringing along 
a kind of an aversive energy, a, um, a kind of an energy of uh, dislike or um, pushing away. And so you might just explore the language, you know, are you speaking in harsh ways? The other day, somebody mentioned to me that they were exploring that in their in their um, language and found that they use sometimes some uh, language that uh, in just simple things, you know, just in simple descriptions of things, used language that had harsh overtones, and um, that 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 person was beginning to explore: Are there other words that I could use to myself? use for myself rather than those those harsher kind of words so this is a this is an an, an interesting exploration you know we we speak harshly to ourselves we speak i mean we we think harsh thoughts about ourselves we sometimes think harsh thoughts about other people we sometimes think harsh thoughts about things like one night, I, one time I, on a retreat, I was doing um, dishwashing. I was a dishwasher at Spirit Rock. And um, I was in an aversive mind state. So, you know, the aversion was churning. And I was aware of it. And, um, and I was watching what was going on. And one of the thoughts that came into my mind was, who designed this stupid machine? <laughs> <laughs> So, so I mean, not only was it blaming somebody who designed this, but you know, actively was you know attributing stupidity to the machine. So you know, this kind of thought reveals the uh, the underlying you know tenor in the mind, and so it can be helpful to notice that. And again, not to one thing. Um, really helpful in terms of noticing these, it's not to judge ourselves. You know, that's laying another kind of harshness on ourselves. But more to get curious. Can we uh, be interested in what's going on when we notice thoughts that are harsh, thoughts that are divisive, thoughts that are perhaps not true? What's happening? What's going on? So opening in curiosity to the uh, kind of underlying terrain of the thoughts Many of you, I think, are probably familiar with um, the the kind of feedback loop between emotions and thoughts. Thoughts can generate emotions, and often this is uh, where emotions begin. You know, we see this in meditation where we're having a, you know, minding our own business, watching our breath, a thought appears in our mind about something that happened three days ago, an argument we were having with a friend, and uh, we get angry. The thought appeared in the mind, and the mind reacted with anger. And so this is, this is the, you know, the relationship of a thought appears, and when it's not seen clearly as a thought arising in the moment, uh, again, you know, there's the possibility of recognizing, oh, thinking about three days ago, is happening in this moment. If that 
if, if the mindfulness is clear and sees that, there's a good chance that that thought will not lead onward to the reactivity. But often we miss those thoughts. You know, we miss them. And the mind does lead onward to the reactivity. So the thought arises, and when we're not clearly aware of it, it leads on to emotion. And so we can, we can uh, get familiar with this feedback loop. And then when the emotion is present, and often we are um, well into an emotion before we recognize it, especially in daily life. You know, we're well into an emotional process before we wake up and recognize what's happening. And by that time, the emotion is kind of um, going, and the emotion itself tends to create thoughts. So, you know, you know, I was in an aversive mind state, I knew I was clearly in an aversive mind state, and the thought, who designed this stupid machine, kind of arose out of that aversive mind state. So the, the, um, the states of mind, anger, frustration, you know, whatever our afflictive states of mind are, they can tend to create thoughts. And sometimes um, they're actually, I sometimes call them signals or... Um, flares almost. Sometimes we recognize that we're having an emotion because of the thoughts. You know, it's, some of us are, you know, I, I know for myself, I was not too attuned to my own emotions for a very long time into my meditation practice. And the, the thoughts are kind of like the mind's way of signaling to us something's going on. So um, we might start to notice thoughts like who designed that stupid machine or what did that person do and why did they do that and, you know, I, I need to make sure that they know X, Y, or Z. You know, we might see thoughts going that are actually indicating an emotional state that's underneath it. And when, um, when an emotion has been going for a while and it's churning out thoughts, you know, sometimes emotions, Gil sometimes says, emotions are like a factory for thoughts. Another teacher, Guy Armstrong, says thoughts come out of emotion like mud comes off a flywheel. You know, if you've got mud on a flywheel, it's like it just spins it out. And so if the emotion can be acknowledged, sometimes the thoughts settle because partly what those thoughts are doing is trying to alert us, hey, there's something going on here, you know, pay attention and so we can, if we can check in and actually acknowledge, oh, what's going on right now is sadness. Or what's going on right now is frustration or impatience or confusion. Sometimes the, the thoughts will settle when we actually recognize the emotion that is at the core of the thoughts. So um, a lot of our afflictive emotions will produce thoughts or can produce thoughts that are this of this unkind variety. You know, he said, she did, I want to do, they shouldn't have done. Um, you know, creating this divisiveness, creating this harshness in the speech. So exploring that uh, terrain of emotion can be helpful. If I have time in a minute, I'll talk about actively doing that in daily life. Um, and then... The third one, so is it true, is it necessary, is it kind? So is it necessary, is it true, is it kind, is it necessary? 
so much of our thinking is just nonsense, noise. So, you know, why are we thinking these thoughts? This can be interesting to start to explore, you know. Most of them, who's the star of these thoughts, you know? (laughs) They're usually about me. (laughs) And even if they're about other, they're indirectly about me. So they serve a familiar purpose, some of these thoughts. You know, they're kind of narrating the story of me and who I am and what I do and what I'm capable of and, you know, who they are and what they do. You know, it begins to, these kinds of thoughts about self and other begin to solidify our view around who we are what we do, what we're capable of, who others are, what they do, what they're capable of. And it is all just a story that's being told in our minds. They tend to um, make things a little rigid in our minds. We're way more flexible than we give ourselves credit for. And so, you know, sometimes we can ask ourselves the, the question, what purpose is this thought serving? Is it entertaining ourselves? Are we simply entertaining ourselves? That's, that's a, a very common part, I think, of, of some of our thoughts. And that, I think that happens because um, we've learned, you know, when we were children, when we, uh, we learned how to make ourselves feel better, largely through the way we thought, and some of us learn strategies of fantasizing uh, pleasant things. Others of us learn strategies of fantasizing controlling things. Others of us learn uh, fantasizing about, you know, being out of here, you know, on a vacation somewhere, out of here. So the, the you know, the various strategies we used were, um, you know, ways that, our mind at the time when we were growing up was trying to help us to be a happier person. And yet very few of our minds would think of stumbling upon being attentive in the present moment as a way to becoming a happier person. So we don't, many of us, stumble onto that um, strategy. And so we stumble onto things that are helpful in a time, but ultimately um, don't serve us as well. And we, one of the things I think as we meet this practice, as we begin to explore mindfulness, as we explore waking up in our lives, we begin to get a sense of just how helpful it is, you know, just how much it serves us to actually be present for our life in the, in the moment. And as we start to appreciate the value of awareness we start to recognize that these kind of idle thoughts are basically taking us away from something that's really helpful to us. So reflecting on, you know, the value of awareness. And when you do recognize you are aware and appreciate, you know, have seen, you know, when you know for yourselves how 
awareness serves you, how mindfulness serves you. If you can remember that, remember that frequently. (laughs) It will really help you to um, let go of the idle thoughts and, and have more of an inclination towards being present just for, you know, standing in a line at the grocery store or walking down a street or having a sip of water. I mean, just simply being present for our lives. You know, when we are present for our lives, we're available to um, know what our minds are doing in that moment. You know, when we're lost in idle thought, our habits, our conditioned tendencies are kind of running the show. Our habits of um, frustration, of impatience, of greed, of aversion, they are working. And so if we um, are not aware in the present moment, we're letting our habits decide how our lives unfold. With mindfulness, we can actually be more conscious for our thoughts, for our choices, for our motivations, and choose more skillfully. You know, beginning to explore this. You know, what thoughts are helpful? What thoughts are not helpful? So this is a challenge in daily life. Uh, Earlier today, somebody was saying, you know, this happens so fast in daily life. How do I possibly break in? How do I possibly, um, uh, you know, recognize before I react and burst out and start saying things and doing things? How do, how do I work with this? Because my thoughts lead to a reaction and boom, I'm saying something already. So what do we do in daily life? It's, it's a challenge. It is a challenge, except I am, I am proof that it's possible to really make inroads into this. So it is possible. It does take practice. Um, but the first thing I'm going to say is in the meantime... <laughs> I'll give you I'll give you a little bit about the you know what what how to begin to practice hopefully, um, but in the meantime, one of the first things to do is uh, you know if you can, when you become aware, you know you may become aware right after you've said something, you know it's already out there, you've already acted, and at that point the instruction is. Get really good at cleaning up the mess. <laughs> you know, learn how to make amends. Learn how to apologize. Learn how to... It, you can know, sometimes it's so interesting when we do something like that, our mind quickly goes back and tries to justify it. You know, it's like, wait a minute. You know, no, this was actually not a good thing to do. And I've seen if I am able to really quickly say, wait a minute, I apologize. You know, I, you know... I, I, I shouldn't have said that or, you know, that was something that I wish I hadn't said or, you know, something like that. You know, we can, we can sometimes um, apologize quickly. And if not, learn how to go back. So that's one of the first things. Get really good at cleaning up the mess and be really honest with yourself when you've make, made a mistake. 
You know, recognize those thoughts that are trying to convince you. Well, it was really okay that I did that. You know, the, those, those thoughts are uh, not so helpful. Sometimes we can uh, know that we've got an energy going, you know, especially when we get familiar with particular kinds of uh, energies that are, you know, favorites for us, you know. Anger for me was a, a favorite emotion. And I began to do a study of anger and get really familiar with that emotion. And that exploration was very helpful in terms of learning how to not act from that place. It's like that emotion became a wake-up bell for me, and I could at that point ground myself in non-harming. You know? So that's a really helpful strategy. Ground yourself in non-harming. See if you cannot act from that place. Refrain from acting out of reactivity if possible. In the awareness that is there, that is available in daily life, one of the best instructions is notice the obvious. What's obvious about a state of anger? Bleh, doesn't feel good. <sighs> Pressure, constriction, tightness. You know, just notice the obvious about it. You don't have, I mean, you know, I, I said earlier today, it's probably not going to happen that you're having a conversation with somebody, you feel the arising of anger, and it's like, oh, wait, let's stop the conversation. I need to feel my body. I need to feel the pressure and heat. You know, that's not the way our, um, our interactions work. And so if you can simply recognize anger's happening and it's unpleasant, even that will support you. You know, just the simple recognition will be very powerful. Very, very powerful. So that's in the meantime. And I need to stop. <laughs> so um, I hope that this, mostly what I'm hoping is this um, gives you a uh, curiosity about exploring your thoughts in daily life and hopefully some sense of the possibility that it, that it is a practice that is accessible to us. So thank you for your attention. <laughs>